Welcome to the Asking Why podcast. I'm your host, Clint Davis. I'm a marriage and family therapist and licensed professional counselor trained in trauma and addiction. The Asking Why podcast is for anyone on a journey of healing and restoration. If you are searching for answers to life's questions and want to learn more about root causes from a psychological and theological mix, this show is for you. In this podcast, myself and a co-host from Clint Davis Counseling and Integrative Wellness will interview guests on a wide range of topics in order to get down to the heart of the problems facing our world and understand why things happen and how to change the world and ourselves for the better. Want to learn more tips and tricks to living a healthy lifestyle? Visit us at Clint Davis Counseling and Integrative Wellness on Facebook and Instagram. If you want to meet our staff or book a speaker, go to clintdaviscounseling.com. Thanks for listening and be sure to subscribe today. So welcome, Cassie Hammett. Hi. Big day. Big day. It's our very first one, so we're excited about that. So I figured having a friend on um, would make that way more comfortable for me to do since I'm a little nervous. Yes. Yeah, somebody who knows what they're talking about. I'm very honored. Oh, absolutely. Yes. We have been working with each other for almost eight years now, I think, Mm -hmm. and on staff together for four. Yes. Always like to do the thing that you're not supposed to do and say, you are my therapist for four years. And now we're out of the two-year window where I can actually acknowledge it. I know, but I'm the person who announces that. Apparently that's not acceptable socially. But I think it's important because we have a long history together. That's fine. Yeah, most of the time I think in the beginning, you know, why that's weird I think for people is because, you know, you never want another person thinking that I'm just nonchalantly as the clinician being like, oh, yeah, I see this person and this person and this person. Right. yeah, it's not it's not typical, but um, you know, for those of us in the therapy world, it's it's nice when people talk about their mental health and talk yep. about you know working on stuff. And um, obviously, that relationship has boundaries, but it's it's normalizing it and everybody being like, yeah, this is my therapist and this is who I go to and this mm-hmm. is good. I mean, it's good for the whole community because then everybody feels like you know, yeah, it's a normal part of it. And you're the best I try. at your job. So I try. Um, I appreciate it. Uh, so today, I wanted to have you in because. Obviously, for me and you, but specifically you, trafficking mm-hmm. um, and the topic of trafficking um, is a big issue in our culture right now. As of today, you know, is, is starting to get some good social media presence, and people are talking about it more. So, just kind of wanted you to tell me, you know, who you are and how you got into this world and what the hub is. And I mean, I know, but for our guests listening that don't know and that maybe aren't in Shreveport, Louisiana, what what that's about. Yeah, so my name is Cassie Hammett, and I'm the, I always like to say, the accidental founder of The Hub, meaning that um, definitely The Hub Urban Ministries here in Shreveport, Louisiana, is a constant testament to um, God's vision for a city um, and Him just choosing someone uh, very underqualified um, to run with that vision. So I'm the founder of The Hub, and um, we're in our 14th year of ministry here in Shreveport. And a nutshell of the hub, we basically work um, in two different lanes when it comes to social justice. One is um, we have a ministry called the Love Well Center um, for individuals in homelessness or poverty. Um, and, and we serve around 400 people a month through that ministry. It's an incredible, um, again, an incredible picture of God's love for all of us. And um, so, there's some amazing things happen there. And then the other side of our ministry is Purchase Not For Sale, which is what we'll be talking a lot about today, which um, is a ministry to women and children who are experiencing sexual exploitation, um, women in the sex industry, exotic dancing, prostitution, pornography, 
and then high-risk children, um, which I'm sure we'll get into a little bit today about what that means, and then victims of trafficking, both adult and children. And um, the hub's been around 14 years. That part of our ministry purchased, uh, this is our eighth year. Um, So it started um, organically out of eight years ago, out of the work we were doing with the homeless and poverty population, what we began to see firsthand um, through relationship with people um, in crisis was that for a lot of the women we were serving, either um, living on the street, women who were homeless or women in poverty, there was this kind of thread through their lives of sexual exploitation that was almost normalized in a sense for them because it was more about survival and um being that at the time we were in relationship with them like one big thing about the hub is like we are really in friendship with the people that we serve um they're not just you know people with issues they're people we know their names um and we care deeply and so as we began to learn that some of our friends were experiencing um the deep trauma of uh, exploitation, we first turned into our community to see what resources existed for that um, specifically. Like if a woman was being trafficked, what would happen? Um, If she wanted out, who would she call? Um, If she wasn't being trafficked and was in prostitution and had crisis or wanted to transition out of that, who would she call? And at the time, um, the answer to that was there wasn't anything. Right. Um, and so we, uh, since the Lord leading us to trailblaze that from the very beginning, um, we were again, not qualified to do it necessarily. Um, and so a lot of what we learned was learning it the hard way, um, just kind of being the tip of the spear, um, in our community at a time when, which is different now, but back then, even though it was only eight years ago, this was not something people were talking about at all. Right. And, and, you know, part of what we'll talk about is technology and how that's increased, you know, accessibility and affordability Mm -hmm. and all those things. I think that, you know, that's one thing when I was thinking about, you know, the the idea of asking why and getting to the root causes. I think that's one thing I love about the hub and working for the hub and being a part of it is, you know, not just treating symptoms, you know, not just feeding some people or giving them clothes or getting them out of trafficking, but, you know, really looking at what are these root causes mm-hmm. and who are you as a person and what's your individual story and how did you get here? And, right. And, and I'll say, I'll say part of the influence I think that you have had on our ministry is teaching us to ask why, um, and to, to see a behavior and to ask why about that behavior, because, um, whether that's human trafficking, um, some of the things we'll talk about today, or drug abuse, or, you know, the long list of things that people would maybe label as really problematic behaviors. Um, The truth is, when you ask why about those behaviors, um, what you learn is a story. And in that story is multiple moments of trauma and brokenness. And what that does when you ask why, not just about people in poverty, about anyone, when you ask why, um, there's an immediate compassion that begins to be built for you as right. the person who's asking. And I always think about how Jesus spoke to people. It was almost always in questions, you know, Definitely. and parables. Yeah. Parables, stories, but he asked a lot of really seemingly obvious questions <laughs> right. that you're like, yeah, you definitely know the answer to that. Right. But 
I think those questions are really important. So in the line of work that we do, we try not just as a staff, but we're trying to build a culture. We're trying to change the culture around, um, serving these populations. Uh, we want to ask why about those behaviors and not just lump people into a category, um, and then address their issues. We really want to know what's going on under that. And I think that's been one of the thousand of ways that you have influenced us as far as through training, um, from a clinical perspective is always asking why about behaviors and not addressing behaviors only. Um, and so thank you for that. Cause that has been, um, that has shifted a lot of how we think even about what we do every day. Yeah. It's, it's been a great partnership for sure. I think it reminds me of God, you know, in his view of us is that he, he doesn't have to ask why cause he knows, Yeah, right. He's seen us, you know, as, as the Psalms say, in the earth before we were formed and in our mm-hmm. mother's womb and all those things. And so he's seen every generational sin and brokenness and, you know, within our epigenetics and in our codes and in our makeup and what our parents have done and what they haven't done. And then what we've done. And, you know, so these behaviors that come out, he's not surprised by, he, he sees the pattern and goes, Oh, well, of course you do that because these, these million things happen. Yeah. And if we can learn as Christians, I think to do that same thing with each other, yeah. with ourselves first and with each other second, then, you know, we can have a lot more grace and empathy. Yeah. And I know this is not what we're talking about today, oh, but I do fine. think, I do think that it's a podcast we can talk about. That's whatever. right. The first one too. We're yeah, setting the tone. Let's do it. Um, Tangents. I always feel like the Lord reminds me often, you know, I think there's this kind of thing about the Christian subculture, um, that says, you know, I'm a follower of Jesus. Therefore he, and, and kind of the reason being so he can use me to, you know, expand his kingdom, which I think obviously that's true. But I, what I've learned about God is that he will never do through me before doing in me what needs to be done. Mm-hmm. And those questions of why in our own hearts, I think if we're willing to slow down and listen, that God will never step over our hearts and our souls to do something through us. Right. Yeah. It's that idea of being a gentleman. Right. Like he forces us to do it. Well, yeah, but also like he'll never do through us something that he hasn't at least offered to do in us, like Mm -hmm. change us. And I think, um, the American church, I think goes straight to the doing, right? Like it's funny that I'm saying this because that used to be me, (laughs) but, um, takes our faith straight from like, we hear it on a Sunday. So we go straight into doing for others. And I think that's incredible, except for, I think sometimes we miss that, that God may want to start with us and in us. And actually that's the story of the hub for me is, yeah, I say I was an accidental founder. Um, that's true. I didn't go to school to do it. I don't have the degree to do it. Still don't have the degree to do it. (laughs) Um, I, I am a living example of this concept that God, God's original intention was to change me and to transform me. Um, from the very beginning, his call in my life to friendship with the poor, specifically, I knew that's what he was calling me to do. It never felt like I'm calling you to do this to start something. Um, at the very beginning, it was that God was after my heart and wanted me to be transformed Um, and then, you know, what came from that was him using me to do what now is the hub, but I'm thankful that I didn't go from the idea to execution without being transformed. 
Um, for sure. And I'm just thankful that God was kind enough to, um, do in, do those things in me because 15 years later, um, I still have skin in the game because he wanted my heart to be transformed and he wanted my theology to be changed and he wanted my life to look um, like a life that was given to the poor. And then what came out of that, obviously, I'm incredibly thankful for, but it was accidental. You know, I didn't wake up and want to start a nonprofit. And truth be told, I don't, I still don't want to run a nonprofit. <laughs> um, I'm thankful to get to do it, but I, um, I just have the perspective of knowing that God, God is always after my heart more than he's after the ministry, you right. know? And so anyways, I don't know yeah, I mean, I, I know you well. So when you say, I don't want to run the nonprofit, it's, you know, things get bigger than what you expect them to get. Yeah. And you know, your, your personality and your gifting isn't to, you know, do paperwork and, yeah, yeah, and yeah, get yeah. dollars uh-huh. and, you know, push for things to be able to do- dollar be done. bills. Yep. But you got to do the dollar holla every <laughs> once in a while right. <laughs> That's and, right. and get some cash to, to get these things going. So I get it. I mean, at the end of the day, you'd rather be out in the streets and in yeah. the club. And, mm-hmm. and so I've seen you grow and, you know, find a balance and mm-hmm. doing the big picture and the small mm-hmm. picture and um, yeah. do namesake and all those things, which we'll get to. Um, so let's move along a little bit and talk about kind of, we're talking about trafficking. I'd love to talk, have you back, you know, another couple of times and talk about, you know, poverty and those mm-hmm. kind of, kind of things. But, um, before we get into what's purchased and, and kind of what all that is, tell me a little bit about what is trafficking? Uh, let's talk about myths and reality. Cause I think there's a lot of people who think trafficking is the Liam Neeson movie, um, which mm-hmm. happens. Um, but I read a stat the other day that said you could leave your kid in your car with the windows down for 757 days before he'd be taken. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. it just spoke to the idea that most of the situations in trafficking aren't, you know, you went to Target and somebody stole your kid. Right, right. So um, the, there's a legal definition of human trafficking that I can start with because I think it's really important to just acknowledge. I mean, we all know that it's illegal, <laughs> but just acknowledge that there are actually laws in place. Right, so if you're listening, um, it's illegal to traffic So newsflash. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Step one is... Um, but it actually, the, the legal definition is very interesting, and a lot of times people don't know. Right. Um, it actually splits, the, the law kind of splits between adults and children um, in what it states. So for adults, um, an individual can be considered a victim of trafficking legally if um, force, fraud, or coercion has happened or their consent has been removed through force, fraud, or coercion to perform commercial sexual acts. Okay, so we'll just kind of break that down. Great. Um, commercial sex acts, or a lot of times you hear, um, this is a this is a tongue twister, so commercial sexual exploitation. What that is, is that word commercial is kind of the key. Um, that just means something of value is being exchanged. So for an adult, uh, what separates a, a victim of sexual abuse and sex trafficking is that word commercial. So if anything of value has been exchanged, that can be, I mean, I think the common, one of the myths is that it's only money, mm-hmm. um, but that's not true. It can be anything of value. So money obviously being one, a place to stay, food, um, and the list goes on and on. As long as it, you can prove legally that value was exchanged for that sex act and that that adult's consent was removed, so consent being permission, um, by force, fraud, or coercion. So force, obviously, is mostly abuse. Uh, fraud is... When you say abuse, what do you mean? Uh, physical abuse, 
um, emotional abuse, um, threats of abuse can be considered force. Very hard to prove, right. um, obviously, but... Uh, or so literally force- just picking up and trafficking. Right. Yeah. Um, yes. So force fraud, uh, the definition of that would be um, a victim has been told something about a situation that isn't true. So an example of that may be that a victim travels to a city to work for someone maybe cleaning houses. They get here and that's not what's happening, right? Like that's an example of fraud. Um, Or it can be relational fraud, which is also very hard to prove for an adult, but that can also mean um, that that victim was lured into a relationship, like a romantic one, um, or just any kind of relationship that was selling selling them a, a truth that wasn't the truth. Right. So a couple of years ago, we had the big stings here in Treeport. Right. And, you know, we got a lot of calls about that. And so they were coercing these girls to come in and think they were working jobs, but they were not yeah, paying them. That's right. And, yeah. That's right. Yeah. So that's an example of fraud. And then coercion is um, like manipulation, kind of the if then statement. Like if you don't do this, then I'll do this. And often um, they use things of high value uh, to manipulate with like children and um, or if if the victim has a warrant out for their arrest or, you know, they're, they're going to find something that acts as leverage to say, if you don't do X, Y, Z, then this is what I'll do. So that's a good example of that. So the law for adults is really tricky because you have to prove consent has been removed, which is really difficult to do for an adult because I think the common, another common myth is that adults are consenting at all times. And that's actually a myth. Um, But it's really hard to prove. Break that down for me. So we hear that all the time, right? Um, That, you know, prostitutes want to be prostitutes and Mm -hmm. they're choosing to do Mm -hmm. it. And, you know, there's Mm -hmm. a lot of assumptions about that. So when you say um, that there's not always consent. Right. So just because a woman is an adult prostituting doesn't mean that she's not a victim of trafficking. Because what makes her a victim of trafficking is if she has a pimp who is in any way, shape, or form um, forcing that behavior or that activity. Mm-hmm. And what's tricky for adults is it's, it is really hard to prove that. Um, you have In the legal system, you have to show force, fraud, or coercion um, to even be seen in the system as a victim, um, which is part of what Purchase does is advocate for victims to be seen as victims when we believe that's what's happening. But when it comes to adults and choice, what's really important to remember is that sometimes they truly are not choosing it, right? Like a pimp is forcing it. And that is happening more more than people probably would imagine. Right. Um, that there's either someone waiting in the car and if they aren't back by a certain amount of minutes, that person, the pimp's coming in for them. I mean, they're, that, is a, that is not rare by any means. Hard to prove but not rare. Mm-hmm. Um, but also with adults and, and that word choice, what's what we have to remember, and this isn't really in the legal system, you know, this isn't going to fly in court to right. say, <laughs> but what we have to remember is that when we say that someone's choosing something, we need to be careful because they may appear as an adult to be choosing a behavior. But what we know because of working closely with victims is that for a lot of them, at young ages, choices were made for them that shifted their life onto a trajectory 
So while it may look like they're choosing, they're not choosing like you and I choose, which is mainly what do I want to do? They're choosing survival. What do I have to do? Or what have I always done? And a lot of times their choices are two versions of garbage that they're having to choose between. So, you know, obviously that's, that's not going to work. Like I said, that doesn't help in the legal system, but it's really important for us to know that the law is actually not enough for us, especially as believers. Like we can't stop at the law. (laughs) Like we have to go, okay, maybe a court system wouldn't deem her a victim. However, like this is not what I know to be true. And I can still advocate for her and serve her regardless of whether in the legal system she can be proven as a victim or not. So it's kind of for adults, it's an uphill battle because a lot of times um, you're talking about someone with a rap sheet, right? Most of the time. So, you know, for us, um, when a woman is a true victim of trafficking in the legal system, what someone's going to see when they run her name right, is a long list of things a lot of times, uh, crimes that she's committed, um, or there may be charges, uh, prostitution charges. And so what that does is then it just, in, in the in a courtroom, I've seen it happen in a courtroom where they go, well, but you have, you know, three or four prostitution charges going all the way back to like 2002. Why now would you be a victim, right? So yeah. there's this kind of like, it's, it's typic- only you're only a victim because it's convenient right it's typically women in the sex industry already right and so that's a very hard yeah, job they're not catching them the first time they right. prostitute or the first time right that they're you know very rarely right. very rarely so um all that to say that's the adult no that's good <laughs> that's i think the adult law i think you know it, it brings up some good topics so that as a therapist and trauma you know specialist i guess you know the the, that idea of choice and what Mm -hmm. is choice and you know yeah uh, i think we have a problem in this country with understanding uh why humans do what humans do so that Mm -hmm. the origin issue is like us it's our pride and going well i want justice Mm -hmm. right and scripture talks about us not seeking justice that justice Mm -hmm. for the lord um and that we should be looking at people's lives and having grace honestly it's easier to just go She's a prostitute. Oh, absolutely. That, and, and I, I know and that we sounds... want to do that, right? I mean, sometimes in our own practice and purchase and in the hub, it's, you know, your human instinct kicks in and goes, this person's never going to recover. Mm-hmm. They're never going to, they're just a terrible person. Yeah. And I think it's, it sounds cross to say, well, that what I mean is when someone gets arrested for a charge, and I see this happen a lot um, on like local news when, when like there's a, a story about a woman who is arrested for prostitution or like the stings when, when, when the names hit the news, like just the commentary you see, it's really easy. Um, it's the easier choice to look at the behavior and say, well, she gets what she gets because Mm -hmm. if she didn't want to be arrested, she shouldn't have done it. And I think, um, man, like as believers, like we can't, we can't fall into that camp. No, because, you know, I think it's with good intentions sometimes, um, not always, but good intentions because people fear, you know, people not taking responsibility, mm-hmm. right? People want, uh, you know, they don't want a world that's corrupt and full of prostitution mm-hmm. and trafficking. Mm-hmm. And so they mm-hmm. think that, oh, well, if we just let her off, or if we, we don't give her consequences, mm-hmm. she's still responsible for her choices. For sure. They need to, to be that. arrested. Right. Like, hear me clearly. It's illegal. Right. But what I mean is, we have to, as believers, make a decision that we can't form opinions about whole groups of people without being willing to ask why mm-hmm. and to care about them as people. Because, you know, 
no one wakes up and wants to be a prostitute. Right. I mean, I, like I used to hesitate in saying that cause I was, you know, but now we're almost a decade in, I've never met a single woman who said, this is what I always wanted to do. Right. And I think that's really important. And what I say, when I say it's the, it's easier, the easier choice is just to put them in a category and move on. It's a lot harder to care and it's a lot harder to ask why. Um, and it requires a lot more skin in the game. So, um, for adults in the trafficking world, um, it is there, it's just an uphill battle based. A lot of it is based solely on perception. Mm -hmm. A lot of people don't know that a pimp is a human trafficker, right. <laughs> like something as simple as that. Well, and then you, you look at the general culture of pimps, right? In the, right. in the, in the music and the, in the, um, in movies. And I love that you, you sounded like a grandpa in the music, in the music, <laughs> the music exactly. these kiddos I feel listen like a grandpa. to. Like I told you, I went and played basketball <laughs> last night. My knees are like killing me. My wife is dying laughing. I was walking in like hobbling around. Gazer. Yeah. I'm like, where's the ice and the yeah. ibuprofen? Um, no, but in the music, right? I mean, in all kinds of different variants, it doesn't matter if it's country music, hip hop. I mean, there's mm -hmm. all these ideas of, uh, being a guy who has a multitude of women and pimps yeah. them out. Yeah. And, but nobody really thinks what's that actually mm -hmm. mean. No, it's just a cultural reference. Right. But then that desensitizes us mm -hmm. to what, what it is. I mean, kids are like, oh yeah, I'm a pimp my ride. I'm a pimp this out. Oh, I had a know. trick or treater that told me they were a pimp. Right. And my husband immediately said, like the wrong house you came, to. that's literally, he said, <laughs> sir, you came to the wrong house. <laughs> yeah. But I think you're right that they're at the same time as for the victims, there is this uphill battle. I think culturally it's an uphill battle mm -hmm. because there is sort of a, not sort of, there is a glamorizing of the undertones. You know, no one's ever going to say being a pimp is awesome. Right? Like, that's not... Except for pimps. Well, yeah, yeah. Maybe. But, like, culturally. But, like, there's a lot of... you know about me. <laughs> oh, we could go down this rabbit hole. For sure. Yeah. Um, but there's a lot of kind of nuanced stuff in culture that we are actually accepting fully. Oh, absolutely. Um, that are desensitizing us to these things. We would never connect them. I don't think we would connect the dots unless we really stop and go man, like how are all these dots connected to the, the trafficking problem? The good news, going back to the law, is that for children, the law is very different and um, a lot more black and white. So I can't remember what year um, the TVPA was passed, but that's the Trafficking Victims Protection Act. Um, whatever year that was passed, it's, it's probably been close to 10 years at this point. But um, when that law passed, it was really great news for children because what that law states essentially, I'm not gonna do it in the legal jargon, so I'm sure someone will correct me and that's fine, but basically what it says is- Never read the comments. <laughs> yeah, no. Um, an individual, any individual under the age of 18 uh, in the legal system that's involved in commercial sexual, sexual exploitation, once, 100 times, doesn't matter, is always considered a victim of trafficking. Right, which um, is huge. That's huge. And the like, fact that it's only been around for 10 years is yeah, insane. Yeah, 10-ish years. Yeah, well, okay, 13, uh, yeah, yeah. Um Email us in. Yeah, right. But um, that that when that passed and that law shifted, basically what that means is when a child is identified as a victim of trafficking, so side note is there is no such thing as a child prostitute. Like those two words don't exist. Right. Um they are always a victim of human trafficking. 
So anytime a child is identified as a victim of trafficking, let's scenarios could be they're 14, 15, and they, they say they're doing it on their own choice or they're being pimped out by a, like a pimp they've never met, a stranger, a friend, a boyfriend, aunt, uncle, or they're prostituting out of their home because that's what their family does. Those are all kind of like scenarios, which I'm sure we'll talk about later. But no matter if that has happened once or a thousand times, in the legal system, that child is always considered a victim, even if, because this happens, they're looking back at you saying they want to do it. Right. Because that's actually really common. It doesn't matter. The law still protects them. They cannot be charged for prostitution legally. A child can never be charged, so it does not go on their criminal history. And because they're automatically a victim, um, the system moves accordingly as if they are victims. So resources are applied uh, and for that child instead of like a punitive path. And so instead of going to jail or all of those things, instead someone shows up with resources and, and helps them kind of navigate through that and get on the other side, hopefully of healing. So that's amazing because uh, that law. Now, the other side of this is that just because it's a law at the federal level does not mean necessarily that it is always carried out street level. Right. Right. It's Which always is applied. That's right. So a big part of what we do at Purchased. Um, and I would say the problem with that is, and I, I know you're going to go this direction, but is education for police officers, for the right. FBI, for the people who are yep. on the ground, because Awareness. they still are in the overall culture thinking the same things that have been passed down that's to right. us forever about that's people right. and about kids and mm -hmm. about, yeah. You know. Right. So a, a big part of what we do at Purchased is just uh, constantly raise awareness and train and offer our training to every law enforcement agency, every frontline organization, hospitals, schools, ho hotels, because not only does that help victims get identified, but it also kind of brings the law down to reality going like, Hey, don't, you know, there's been situations where I've been, you know, in a room with a child where I can see the law is actually not working for them the way it should. And I have to be the one to say, Hey, this is not right. Like mm -hmm. she cannot get arrested, mm -hmm. um, which is my favorite, one of my favorite parts of my job. <laughs> right. It's like, you can't actually do that. <laughs> right. Um, so the law is great and it works for children and it protects children and it's incredible. But what, what we as citizens in a place that has those laws, what we have to do is understand that it part of our job, especially if you're in the lane of human trafficking and justice issues is to make the law actually work for people. Um, and just remind systems like, Hey, I know this seems like you should know this, <laughs> but <laughs> here in the law, this is what it states. And I think, um, that's a big part of the fight against human trafficking, to be honest, is just to remind systems the truth about, especially about children. So the law is very different when it comes to splitting between adults and children, um, my dream is that the trafficking law is as much good news for adults as it is for children. Right. Um, and I was, yeah. that's what I was taking a deep breath about, you know, part of our education, you know, with Glenn Davis counseling and integrative wellness is to try to educate the culture and the church on just human beings and trauma and how mm -hmm. all these things work in general. And, mm -hmm. you know, people hear me talk about this all the time, but 
we live in a culture today where most things and most, you know, whether it's the police force or judiciary system or trafficking laws, um, you know, a lot of the American church is all behavior modification. Yeah. It's all treating symptoms and not treating the person and seeing them as an individual and as a human who has a story to make it make sense why it is they're doing what they're doing. And so when you were talking about the, the child laws, it's like, man, wouldn't it be so great yeah. if we saw women, men, whoever, as victims of their circumstances as well, understanding they still need consequences. They right. still need a structure in place that teaches them not to do this again. But the recovery that needs to happen mm-hmm. doesn't happen when we do it just right. based on punishment. Right. And and on the adult side of the of the coin when it comes in the legal system, like I have always felt that the Lord constantly reminds me you don't have to wait on the law um, to change, mm-hmm. to change the culture around, like in our city, for yeah. example. Um, I do want to say that, you know, over the last eight to nine years, part, I think, of what God is using Purchase to do is to shift an entire culture and mindset yeah, definitely. about trafficking, especially when it comes to adults. And one example that I think would your listeners would be really excited to hear, um, because I think this is possible no matter where you live. I think, um, you know, as believers especially, like we house the Holy Spirit. <laughs> like, like we can accomplish things yeah. on behalf of broken people. Like we have the ability. We've been called and equipped and sent to do it. Um, and and it I was, happened to us. That's right. right. We, that's right. Our broken selves. And yeah, we me. don't have to just circle up and sur- you know just wait for Jesus to return. Like we can get out there and do some damage to um, the enemy's territory. And I think the other day I was thinking about I was in a hotel room um, on a sting operation with a task force here in town um, in Bozier. Some of you listening may not that a city doesn't mean anything, um, but it's across the river from us. And they have a human trafficking task force that purchased is. Uh, on and so we get to go and be present for um all of their sting operations and um this task force in particular i just want to give a shout out to first of all because i'm telling you they are the most incredible men of god like they're all i would i would it may be a stretch to say this because i don't know them all personally but it seems as if they're all believers they Mm -hmm. talk openly about their faith um and i'm just honored to be in the room with these people like they are just incredible um law enforcement officers kind of targeting human trafficking in in our city so i was there one night and i was listening to the to the commander um his name is heath shout out um and he said to one of the victims um and this is kind of a mantra that they have um we are going to assume you're a victim first until you prove us different Mm. And I, that'll preach. The first time I heard him say it, I, I just like tears started rolling down my face because I thought, man, what a shift in culture that a room full of law enforcement officers are choosing to view a prostitute as a victim first until they prove otherwise. Cause typically it's the other way around. Typically it is. You're, you're a criminal. And if we look through your phone and stuff and we see that you're a victim, you know, this was, it's flipped. It was Mm -hmm. like, 
just well, like this, you said, it's hard to prove. So they'd have to find direct evidence on mm-hmm. the phone of someone right. coercing them, forcing them. But to watch the women respond to that. Oh, I bet. You know, I just sat back and was so proud of what God has done in this city because that is evidence of a cultural shift in the hearts of people who are, and these people make up the systems, right? That's what people need to understand about mm-hmm. systemic change, you know, cause that's a big conversation right now in our country and it should be, but systemic change systems are made of people, right? Systems are made of hearts, mm-hmm. like individual lives. And in order to see systemic change, meaning that a system changes to, um, be more just and to work on behalf of whatever population you're referring to, you have to, it's the hearts of men that have to be changed, hearts of men and women. And I think that's what I've been able to watch happen over the years here and now in other cities that we're in is when you fight for the whole picture, not just the victim, not just the system, but like when you say there's a culture here that we need to change, the law can stay the law and still victims get what they need because you've shifted the culture. So absolutely. I mean, it's not, you know, the law is still the same for adult prostitutes, but the fact that these guys are seeing them as victims first, even Mm -hmm. emotionally, you know, in their presence, physically, you know, from a trauma perspective allows that person to deescalate, feel safe. And then they actually end up getting better information out of them. And we know this from waterboarding. We know this from torture. You don't get good information. And if the the long-term goal is to stop traffickers Mm -hmm. and to stop trafficking in general, then, you know, arresting a prostitute who's an adult, you know, slamming her, flexi-cuffing her, putting her in her car, arresting her, shaming her, you know, she's not going to give you any good information. No, even if she is a victim. Right. And, And, you know, the fact that in both of our cities, in Shreveport and in Bossier, task force-wise, because we have uh, a federal task force here, and in both cases, I what I see is they, even though they are, I mean, they're cops, right? So, like, there's going to be, like you said, there's going to be consequences. Absolutely. But in both cities, there's a, it's a safe place to land. That That's the way that I, when, when I'm present on these things, I'm like, man, this is a literal life-saving device that they're getting arrested. Right. It's like we talked about. It's like you you hope they get arrested here in Shreveport right. and Bossier because... Oh, I hope. You know, because I know, one, a lot of times being arrested is the best thing for them because mm-hmm. it gets them out of the direct you know situation and gets them in isolation and all of the things that can happen. Food. Food, yeah. yeah. Like three hots and a cot. Like right. that's jail speak. But for a lot of these women, that's a way better upgrade of life. It's army speak too. So it's oh, yeah. not just street level. Okay. But the other reason why... I always think about, you know, sometimes I even pray. I know that sounds really crazy to say, but like, Lord, please get them, let them get arrested. Yes. I know that's a weird thing to maybe for listeners who are like, this is totally bizarre to be praying. However, what I know is not only would getting arrested get them closer to, to getting help, but I know that our officers here, they are safe and they are going to treat them with dignity and respect. They may be arresting them, right? Like that sure. doesn't change that. And but, they did do something illegal. That's like right. You said. That's yeah. right. Um, but the, every time that there's a sting operation, at some point, an officer in the room here will say, hey, we don't think this is what you were created to do. 
we believe you have a greater purpose than this. And Cassie's here to talk to you about that. Like, you know, they, cause they're police, they can only do so much. Right. But man, like if we could reproduce that. And that, but also that speaks to the body of Christ, right? Is that, you know, the cops here that are Christians and that do have that idea. It's great because we can partner with them and connect on a different level of like, this is my role. This is what I'm doing. I have to stay in my lane. Here's your lane. But we're all working Mm -hmm. in tandem uh, to do it. And so, yeah, I've seen it be such a beautiful thing. Um, So, you know, that's purchased, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, Over the last, what, six years now? Eight. Eight years. Um, golly, been that long. Mm-hmm. Um, so purchase has been open. And so we have been, uh, kind of this parallel process of me being director of recovery for, for that and helping write programs and all that. Um, so I guess namesake kind of came next, right? Mm-hmm. So tell me a little bit about namesake, mm-hmm. um, how that's working, because not only do we want to do that in Shreveport and Bossier and locally, mm-hmm. but we've been wanting to really push that, mm-hmm. uh, inter- Internet, well, not internationally yet, but not yet yeah. worldwide. That's right. <laughs> um, okay, so namesake is just it's a program of the hub that was developed to be able to reproduce the models that we use in other cities. Um, you know, after twelve ish years, so a few years ago is when we started praying about um, giving away our model. We felt like we had done it long enough. Um, had seen fruit, right, of what we were doing, had worked out a ton of the kinks um, because that's just part of being the tip of the spears. You you have to kind of wrestle down all the things that don't work and all those things. And we just got to a point where we saw what we were doing to be so unique um, but also so effective that we wanted to see it expand. You know, we... Um, we meaning it started with a conversation with my husband and I, my husband, Brent, uh, essentially works for the first works for the whole, he's voluntold. Right. Um, shout, but out to shout out. He's amazing. But you know, him and I started talking about what would it look like to give this stuff away? Um, because we just had a real sense that God was trying to reshape our perspective to a wider, um, kingdom, perspective instead of just like this is what we're doing here um what would it look like if we just were open-handed and so um we didn't do anything except for pray about it and didn't tell anyone really that that's something we were thinking about and then within like you know two months of that initial conversation uh we had cities had reached out to us directly asking for that So, you know, it's, it's, yeah, it's one of those things where you just go, man, this is obviously an open door because we did nothing to, um, start that process. And so you didn't go out pitching it or trying to talk people into it. No, we didn't tell anyone. Right. No, I didn't know. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Surprise. So, um, by the way, we're going to do this and I need you to come to Vegas. (laughs) Yeah. Right. So, um, Currently, we're in several cities, and, and basically, the way that namesake works is, um, a in a city, a, an organization, um, either a fully formed one or a group of people who want to, you know, we kind of start at all different places, can go through a process with the hub of coaching and consulting, starting from wherever they are. So there's no like prerequisites as far as like you have to be at this point. Um, so we start where they are, which I think is pretty unique because, um, typically you have to like be down the road a little bit to be, um, 
consulted and coached and things like that. So all of our cities have all started at different levels, but um, we walk with them through 90 day phases of building um, the model that we use. And so um, each city can tailor what they want to do. So they don't all have to do the full model of the hub. So some of our cities just do our Love Well Center program, some just do purchased, and then in a few of them um, is both. And so our staff, we're just kind of made available to these teams. Um, most of it is spearheaded by me and you, you know, kind of shaping and training and coaching. But then as they get into the actual work of doing it, then our hub staff here, the mothership staff, right. <laughs> becomes available to them to kind of help them walk through like all the unique things of doing ministry in those lanes. Um, and I would say it's been one of my favorite things to do because again, we give it away, um, which my husband would argue, you know, he thinks <laughs> we need to charge people for it, but such a one thing. I know, I know we give it away and that just feels like a gift for me, um, to, because you, you know, and, and this sounds like over spiritualizing it or some cheesy, I don't know, Jesus jukey, whatever you would say, but it's not mine in the first place. Right. And so, um, I didn't come up with it. It was, it was God's vision for this city. And I just feel like it's meant to be given away. And so, um, we are currently in, this is like a pop quiz. <laughs> Lafayette. Like, uh, I gotta catch up. Yeah. The hub, they're doing uh, the Lovewell center in Lafayette, Louisiana, which is South of us. Um, we are in Northeast Louisiana, uh, purchased Neela is what that stands for. Um, that's in the like Ruston over to the edge of the state line uh, area of our state. Um, we have a full model in Fort Worth. It's called the net. They do the Lovewell center model and they have purchased Fort Worth. Um, we have a new one in Macomb, Mississippi, which mm -hmm. I've never been to Macomb. Um, not yet. They're doing the Lovewell center model. And then, uh, the, Oh, the one in, <laughs> we have Vegas. Yeah. So, the uh, one that you live. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Month like month month. Other. No, so um, our location out in Las Vegas is a really cool story. Um, the church that we work with, major shout out, Hope Church, um, pa Pastor Vance Pittman. Um, they, before ever reaching out to, to us, felt called as a church to tackle human trafficking as a church, which is just beautiful, mm -hmm. you know. Especially that, in Vegas. That's right, in Las Vegas and... Um, you know, you see churches like give towards human trafficking, but it's pretty rare for a church to say like, we are going to tackle this as a church. Um, they just have such clear vision for their city. And so the church reached out and uh, we, very long story, very short, we went through the process of launching Purchase Vegas uh, with that church. Well, in that same period of time, another organization out there called goodness gracious which is so cute and southern but they're not from the south um they were doing homeless ministry um reached out about the love well model well it turns out that hope church is a financial partner of goodness gracious <laughs> <laughs> well and, goodness gracious uh, well goodness gracious so bless her heart all right so what has transpired um is one our my family so me, my husband, and my kids. We live one month at a time between Shreveport and Las Vegas. Shout out to Liv and Esther. Shout out. We could do a whole episode about them. Sure. Um, we travel back speaking and forth. Speaking of trauma. Go, speaking of trauma. 
we travel back and forth between Las Vegas and Shreveport one month at a time. The reason we do that is because um, at the end of 2019, um, it just became really clear to the church staff out in Vegas, Hope Hope Church, and to us that um, possibly what God was doing was kind of weaving the story of the hub Las Vegas. Mm. And so you heard it here first, folks, because I haven't said this publicly, but we're launching the hub Las Vegas, oh, like the nice. full model in 2021. And awesome. so um, we've been traveling back and forth um, because it's a pretty, I mean, Las Vegas itself is an interesting place to be planting this work, um, but it's a pretty big beast of a thing. So um, we love that place. We love that city. So that started as a namesake that has kind of escalated really, really quickly, but um, I'm super proud of all of our cities. I mean, they're just, I mean, doing just the work um, of the kingdom and also, sorry, Back to Ruston. We also have a Love Wall Center in Ruston. Mm -hmm. Totally. Homer 413 is the name of it. So, you know, just seeing, um, gosh, it's just, it's just amazing to see uh, God's vision for the vulnerable just take flight in all of these cities. And man, it's like the greatest work of my life, I think, is um, not just the hub, but just being able to come alongside of these other groups who are so desperate to see justice but to also see the gospel go forth um, and just to see our model reproduce and our culture, because that's a big part of the puzzle is, you know, we don't just give them a manual on paper and say, good luck, you know, for us. Absolutely. Yeah, it's reproducing DNA and culture, which is a whole nother ball game. So, yeah, and I'll speak for myself, you know, um, the replication model, you know, for us has been seeing you do what you do and seeing, you know, all the staff do what they do. Um, you know, I, I was like, well, what can I give, you know, what mm -hmm. can I provide? And so, you know, I started doing counseling with you guys just by myself. Mm -hmm. And then once the, uh, when I was working for the children's home, you know, um, Ashley and, um, Shannon, who, you know, mm -hmm. were also doing kind of free therapy and just going, Hey, this is what we can give. And we, you have people at mow grass and people who do different, yeah. different things. It takes everybody. Yeah. It takes literally everyone to mm -hmm. run it. Um, but from my perspective, as we kind of grew and came on staff and kind of did the integration model of, okay, theology, psychology, how do we really mm -hmm. give people good care, you know, good quality, what they couldn't get anywhere else yeah. with good trained people, you know, we want to give them the best. That's we don't right. want to give them scraps. We don't want to say, well, what's the least we can do for these prostitutes or these homeless people or, you know, mm -hmm. whatever. We're like, no, if it costs you $200 a session to go see, you know, mm -hmm. Clint and they get it for free, you know. Yeah. What a thing to say to them the about their worth. The yeah, That's about right. their worth yep. and value. Or if they, um, you know, whatever it is, the clothing that we we help mm -hmm. them get, the movies that they go to, the vacations, that whatever it is that yeah, they're the doing. Yeah, the home they live in. Yeah, yeah. The, the houses they live yeah. in. They're not like, oh, it's a three hundred dollar a month apartment. It's yeah. it's a nice house that we couldn't you know could mm -hmm. afford or mm -hmm. couldn't that's afford. Right. Um. So that's been a beautiful thing to see, and you know, in the same way we partnered with you know we're partnering right now with Homer. Um, in Ruston and have Mary Kate over there and hopefully a couple more therapists in Ruston and you know just being able to see um, I went to Vegas was that last year mm -hmm. um, and doing the trainings for the staff and talking to other clinicians in the area and saying hey this is what we do can yeah. you come on and that's been such a beautiful thing for me to get to do um, because it speaks to that holistic um, how can we all be this and right. in this together? Right. Um, yeah. Ours obviously is mental health. And so for me, that's a very, very integral part of mm -hmm. um, what people need to recover. 
but just as much, they need good mentors and good, good sponsors and they do need money. You know, they need people to go, Hey, I make $500,000 a year. I have these 12 businesses. Mm -hmm. So it is easy for me just to give. Yeah. And I think to speak back to the human trafficking stuff, um, I think people don't know that, that it takes everyone. Mm -hmm. Um, Well, people don't think they can offer anything. That's right. That's right. And I think that would be, you know, if you asked me like a myth of, of human trafficking, kind of in a twist, a twist to that is that there's a lot of myths on the side of what it takes to end human trafficking. Mm -hmm. Um, That it's just law based or, you know, that we just need to fix the laws or we need, you know, but the truth is, and what I've learned by living it out is it literally takes everyone. Mm -hmm. Um, It takes every system working in the right direction for someone. It takes every lane of, of a career. I mean, my husband always jokes like, don't tell my wife what you do for a living. Cause I will find a way to use it. <laughs> um, but it takes, I also can attest. Yeah. 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 Sorry. It takes uh, hairdressers to come in and speak to their, the women's value and worth and to give them, you know, the treatment physically that they deserve. It takes teachers and counselors and pastors and moms and grandmas i mean like we see we see every type of person come into the equation and be used by god well and like you said originally i think what's really beautiful about that is like and i was telling my staff this just monday that everybody who comes into the hub or comes into clint davis counseling or comes into ministry in general god is working in them first yeah and then work so like people think oh i can't really give anything i can't well it's really not about prostitution and about trafficking. It's about people's hearts. That's right. And so, I mean, what I saw was me coming in and serving, which started with literally me just showing up and doing like interviews in a, a hotel basically and, <laughs> and going around and going, Hey, Hey, can we, get, what do you need? Do you need mm-hmm. some toilet paper? Do you mm-hmm. need this? Yep, like, that's right. I'm this strange white guy knocking on your apartment. Yeah. Like, um, just changed my heart and my overview and, yep. and led to, you know, now what we're doing with this podcast, literally with this podcast. I, I mean, know. it's one of the and- things about having you on here first is, you know, it's just such a connection to the whole that God has said, you know, be obedient and do these things. And, and I think human trafficking feels so big that we can easily justify not playing a part in seeing it in because it is such a huge thing. It's the oldest, you know, job in the world. Right. You know, these There's been prostitutes yeah. since Jesus is still. Right. <laughs> um, but, and it's this big, really scary thing. And so Which it is. It is. Yeah. But but what it is more is that it's not bigger than Jesus. Absolutely not. And it, quote unquote, is really just, it's a bunch of people. Uh-huh. And so you, the other myth is that there's nothing, you know, regular old people can do. Well, here's newsflash. I'm a regular old person. Me, personally. And getting older. Yes, getting older <laughs> as we speak. Yeah. But... You know, my heart and what I always try to communicate when we teach or train or speak about purchase is to make sure everyone in the room understands that they can do something and that when we all do something together, that's what moves the needle. But that's no different than what the Bible says about the body of Christ. Absolutely. And so, um, you know, my encouragement to people is always like, 
you will find a long list of reasons to disqualify yourself from justice seeking. Um, and another thing that happens in, in the Christian world is that we look to people who do it full time and go, well, I'm not them, so I'm just going to like give money to them or whatever. Mm-hmm. Like a lot of times when I speak places and I come off the platform, someone's always like, thank God he called you to it. <laughs> you know, and it's mainly what they're saying <laughs> is, like, yeah, thank you. they're like, thank God it wasn't me. Right. Um, and I remember being a child in church and, and missionaries coming, right, to, to teach or share and thinking like, oh my gosh, they're just like these rock stars of people that like almost like there was this separate group of Christians Mm -hmm. (laughs) that was, you know, worthy of that. Um, but that's just not true. No. And if, and we know a lot of missionaries and shout out to you. Shout out. They do really hard work, but they, yeah. And there's a definite call. Absolutely. For specific things. But I think what happens is we go, well, I'm not called. So like it's easy to go, well, I'm not called to that. Well, yeah. Also, but you like, are you might if you're a Christ called, follower. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah, and yeah. you might be called to show up and hand out flyers in an apartment, and that mm-hmm. leads to you starting a counseling practice and doing trafficking work. I mean, like, right. it doesn't always start out that you're called to being the, you know, being the director. And sometimes of, it doesn't end with that. No, for sure. So not. here's the thing: we're Christ followers, and there's a very clear mandate in Scripture for us that that claim the name of Jesus to care about the widow, orphan, stranger, the hungry, the homeless. Like you can't read the Bible and get away from that. But I think the way we do is we say, well, I'm not called to that. But, but the problem with that is that you're called to be like Christ. And, and when you read scripture, literally Genesis through Revelation, you see God's heart for his people is that they care about the poor, the orphan, the widow, the stranger, the foreigner. Even if they made bad choices. That's right. That's right. And so it, it, you know, my heart is always not, are you a part? Can you be? It's what part are you going to play? Right. Because if you're a Christ follower, like that's, you can't get, I mean, this is going to step on people's toes, but like there's no getting out of it. Mm -hmm. Now you can choose to not do it, but what, what you're choosing is disobedience. Absolutely. And I think uh, what people really miss out on is enjoying the kingdom at its fullness. Oh my gosh. You and know, so it's not about yeah. like God's mad at you because you're not, you're being disobedient. Mm-hmm. It's God's sad that if you were being obedient, mm-hmm. which means trusting his plan for you, that you would get this experience where you knew him and experienced him and experienced people in a way and in a light that like, rare people get to do, which mm-hmm. brings you grace and you peace mm-hmm. and you comfort mm-hmm. and contentment in the midst of really, really hard circumstances. Right. I always say that there are things about God's nature and his word and and my faith that I I know now only because I walk with the poor and the exploited and victims. I mean like literally there's a there's a part of who God is that is made real um the gospel kind of flesh wrapped around when you are being obedient to walk in the trenches with people and i am always so desperate for not for people to come serve with the hub that's not what i'm desperate about i just want people to know what i know Mm -hmm. (laughs) i just want people to know what i know about god because of um them because of the poor like i understand that my life needs them as much as I would love to say they need me. Um, the truth is that like I need them 
I need them to shape me and form me and remind me of who God is. And there's, there's things I've learned through adopting orphans, right? Like parenting two children who, um, didn't have parents, you know, there's things I've learned about God because of that. There's things I've learned being in a hotel room with a victim of trafficking where, where like something just clicks about God's nature. Like I'm seeing it right in front of me Mm -hmm. and I just get sad sometimes that, that there's a, that there are people in the body of Christ who, who are missing out on that, you know, like it's just, it's the most amazing thing. So anyways, that's a rabbit hole. No, it's fine. (laughs) I think it's great. I I think it's the same thing with counseling. You know, I I love my clients. I've learned, I learned so much every day. I mean, it's really hard to sit with people from all walks of life, you know, whether it's socioeconomic status or ethnicity or religion, you Mm -hmm. know, I see people who aren't Christians who aren't, you know, and to see that they care about their families, they care about the same things. It's all, but to go home every day and then have to be in a relationship with my wife and my kids and sit all day seeing this wide range, mm-hmm. you know, it holds me accountable. It makes me grow. Mm-hmm. I mean, I see just some of the bravest people mm-hmm. come in here and work through, you know, affairs, adultery, pornography, addiction, mm-hmm. you know, trauma history, them being the perpetrator or the victim or both. Right. right. And, you know, think there's no way they're making it. You know, and now like my brain didn't work like that. My mm-hmm. automatic assumption is, oh, that this is totally doable. Yeah. You know, yeah, they come in. I, I had a client last week, and you know, it's like telling me their story, looking at me like, well, you're going to be like out on this one. Right. I'm like, well, oh, that's easy. Yeah. You know, that's that, so good. Mm-hmm. That's so simple, and I think it's the same way that we get to see with with the homeless population and mm-hmm. prostitution. One of the things that's, you know, so beautiful to me is seeing these ladies come in, and in as little as a year or eighteen months. Yeah. Be a totally different person. Because mm-hmm, nothing's bigger than God. No, because you know? Jesus can do things That's that right. you just, it does. And, and Jesus, I want to say this because it's important. Jesus is, it's not like we're saying to people out there who aren't Christian, that Jesus is this like spiritual thing floating around. Mm-hmm. You have to grab him and that's what more Jesus is. Jesus is in us, mm-hmm. is in people. Mm-hmm. And so the Holy Spirit living in us and sharing all these things we've been talking about, whether it's mowing the grass or being a therapist or being you mm-hmm. or being whoever, you're being Jesus to people, and that's right. the Jesus people need. Mm-hmm. I mean, he also comes from the Holy Spirit. Right. But he's not just this thing when we're like, oh, well, these people changed because they got Jesus. It's not like we did some worship. <laughs> they and, got him. <laughs> yeah, it's like, you know, they grabbed him and snatched yeah, yeah, him yeah. up and punched the car. No, I think that's a that's a really good point, that, that Jesus is a real practical walk-with-you kind of a thing, like yeah. a being. You know what I'm saying? It's not like this ethereal, like, just sit here until, <laughs> you know, you find him. But I mean, I he meets you. Don't know that, right? People yeah. don't know that. And the other, the other thing I would say back to like human trafficking recovery is, you know, for those who maybe are interested in knowing how recovery best works, you know, what we believe here um, at the hub is um, for like for today's conversation with victims of trafficking um, that the gospel is enough, right? Um, but they also have very real physical needs. So I think what sometimes happens is um, you see this kind of split in the church, which I think we're actually seeing right now, which I know we're going to get into some real-time cultural things in a second. But I think you see this divide in the church between uh, social justice and the gospel. Mm-hmm. And what's well, the, I love you, you know, the Jesus who loves everyone he would never hold anybody accountable mm-hmm. he's mm-hmm. super graceful and kind mm-hmm. versus the jesus who's like well that's wrong and you shouldn't do it right or that like on in one camp it's 
well, all we need to focus on is the gospel, sharing the gospel. Right, evangelism. And then the other camp, you know, so there's this this split. But Well, the other camp is, just to clarify, is doing things. Right. Yeah, which is great too. Right, and one, right, exactly. So, man, <laughs> this is like landmine central, For so sure. I'm not going to read the comments of this. But there is, the reality is, for individuals who are, like today's topic, victims of human trafficking. If you walk out that idea that all they need is the gospel, while I understand that and believe it, if you walked that out physically, that would be equivalent to knocking on a hotel room door, a girl answering it, who's bruised, battered, hasn't eaten in days, you sharing the gospel with her and leaving. Right. right now that's an extreme version of that camp but that's problematic because for her the gospel is enough and we do know we know that to be true we know that at the very core of who she is that she has to be transformed by christ right to find full healing and freedom but she will never be able to think towards that be able to walk towards that be able to even understand anything near the gospel if we don't also and and usually first address the very real obvious glaring issues of her life the injustices if she hasn't eaten in four days she doesn't give a rip about what you have to say about the bible i mean that's just the truth if in 20 minutes that pimp's coming back and she knows what's going to happen when he gets there she there's no way in that amount of trauma and survivor mode for her, she may hear what you're saying and it may land, right? We know how the Holy Spirit works, but however, it's on us as, as the body of Christ to go the full length with her. Well, it goes to that soil, you know, yeah, idea. right. Is, is, are you right, throwing the some soil, seeds that's out there right. on the sidewalk? Or and it's thorns? almost an unfair expectation for us to have on her because most of us can easily do that because we've never been in that kind of a position. But like, if we can only understand what's going on in her brain, that like her whole brain isn't even working. Right. You know, I mean, we, and you've taught us this about trauma. Like most of her brain's shut down. I mean, she's surviving minute by minute by minute. So, so what I mean when I say that the two, like, I think it's both and. Well, yeah, because it's just as important to realize that you can show up, you know, in, you know, a terrible city in Mexico every year bringing water and building wells. Right. But if they don't know why you're there, mm-hmm. then it doesn't have any bigger, yeah. bigger meaning than just providing. That's right. You, right. So you goods. don't want to just do and do and do and do. But here's the truth. That's mostly that's not going to, I mean, that's a very extreme thing to think Absolutely. that any Christians are out there like zip it up. Not going to tell you, you know, yeah. <laughs> So I think it's, they're both extremes. But what I know to be true is that the fullest version of being Jesus to someone because you see it in the New Testament um, it's both and he addressed the physical need and the spiritual need every time and I mean we have to like pay attention to that right like we have to look at that and go you mean we have to use Jesus as a as the example yeah. <laughs> like he's the consistent template so you know the thing that irks me about those two camps is is that a lot of times people say 
well, but all you did was X, Y, Z, and you didn't share the gospel, so that was in vain. Right, which isn't true. Which isn't true, and to which I want to say, oh, so you would have left her to die? Like that, you know, I mean, is that the preference here? Right. right? Because, like, sometimes for these individuals, it is life or death. And in some situations, it's just, you got to read the room sometimes. It's not right. the time for the Roman road, right? <laughs> like, it's for just sure. not. And But understanding, I, I think that idea is also kind of limiting of God's power because it goes, because I didn't share the gospel, these things may be true about her life. And I'm like, mm, God cares a lot more about her than I ever could. Yeah. And in most of the themes that we're talking about, it, it happens in relationship. Mm -hmm. And so... You know, I know that, you know, trust has a lot to do with it. Safety has a lot to do with learning and right. believing what a person's saying. And so if you're in fight or flight and your right brain is, you know, overwhelmed and your left brain shut down, you can't learn. Yeah. Right? And the so other, you can't really learn that right. you're loved and you're valued and you're mm -hmm. worthy no matter what you've done because you're in the middle of literally getting out of that circumstance. Right. And the other unfortunate part of this conversation for trafficking specifically or women in the sex industry is a lot of times they have a lot of baggage about Christianity um, for a lot of reasons. Maybe um, someone who was a Christian was terrible to them or abused them. Or a lot of times, you know, they get kicked out of youth group or they get kicked out of the church because of, you, you know, you also have to remember that like sometimes there's a lot of brokenness for them when it comes to faith. Absolutely. There's a lot of religious trauma. I see that a lot. Yeah. That people have been traumatized by right. religion, not Jesus, not the gospel, mm -hmm. but religion. And people in my office will say, well, I don't understand. I hate this about Christianity mm -hmm. or I don't like this about, you know, church. And I'm like, well, me either, because right. that's not Christianity. Mm -hmm. That's mm -hmm. people. That's human beings yeah. taking scripture and twisting it, you know, doing it imperfectly. But that's not actually God saying for them to do that. Right. So before we move on, the last thing I'll say is... Um, I think the story of the friends who bring their paralyzed friend to Jesus is a really good picture of what we're talking about. You know, they they had a friend who had, hadn't walked ever, and they heard Jesus was coming to town. And so their assumption, which I think is really cool, is if we just get him there, he's going to heal him, which mm -hmm. I think is like incredible faith. But what it took to get him there, they had to do some stuff. Mm -hmm. right? It took some work. They had to pick him up. They had to carry him. They get to the door. It's like a nightclub to slam. Bouncer went, doesn't let him in. So they go to the roof. They cut a hole in the roof and lower this dude in. Like that's a lot of doing. And when they do, and he is before Jesus, Jesus looks at him and says, your sins are forgiven. Now, I always say, like, if I'm the friend in the roof, I'm like, Psst, Jesus, we didn't bring him for that. He right. can't walk, right? Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm sweating. What you like, talking about? <laughs> that's not why we came, Jesus. Yeah. Um, and what it goes on to say in that story is Jesus perceiving the questions, right? Like, he's perceiving that. Um, says, what's the bigger thing? That this man can walk again, essentially, I'm paraphrasing. Or that he's healed. Mm -hmm. And another key thing in that story is he, he says, the story says, when Jesus saw their faith, right, he was moved to heal the friend's faith. And so when I hear people get in a camp, like gospel versus social justice in the Christian context, I just think of that story 
And I go, it's both and. Yeah, absolutely. And it's it takes our doing. It takes our faith that if we do this, Jesus is going to heal someone. But Jesus is the healing, right? Yeah, and it's, so I it's think also, it's a, this. me and you have talked about this before, but it's the, the passages that people love to preach about um, the Good Samaritan and, and Mary and Martha. Mm-hmm. And they're right yeah, you know, that's right. They're literally here and here, you know, in the in the Bible above and b- below, and but you don't hear, usually hear them preach together. It's Mm-mm. it's the Mary Martha story where you know Mary is sitting at the feet of Jesus doing yeah. nothing, Martha's cleaning and cooking and doing, and Jesus is like, you need to stop doing that and mm-hmm. come sit. At, you know, she's the one who's listening and doing the right thing, and mm-hmm. and then the next one is you know the the Good Samaritan and yeah, it's both and yeah, it's oh yeah. well, and and you hear that Good Samaritan story, he's like, okay, we're gonna start the hub, we're gonna you know we're gonna get out there and and the the thing is is both of those stories like it's our narcissism that puts us in the middle. Yep, that's like, right. We're not, you know, Jesus is the good Samaritan, mm-hmm. not us. Like we're yep. the person. It's a in the, picture of We're him. the picture in the ditch. We're the person in the ditch. That's right. <laughs> That's right. Like, you know. Yep. And so it's both. You know, mm-hmm. it's it's both of those things are told from the point of view of Jesus, mm-hmm. and yet they're both yeah. di- different stories, but with the same thing. Yep. It's yep. great. All right. Um, so that brings us to. I feel like we need to do an altar call. Yeah. Every head bow. Yeah. Every eye closed, unless you're driving. <laughs> yeah. Keep your eyes open, please. <laughs> Um, so yeah, we talked about purchase namesake. Um, and then recently, you know, with our partnership, we have been able to write some curriculum for John's school. Mm -hmm. So let's talk about that briefly. I'll, I'll kind of go for a minute. Um, so in my line of work, um, pornography and sex addiction and sexual trauma, especially in men has been a big focus, um, in helping people. I've had my own experiences with it, continue to have my own work with that, um, and then continue to, you know, now we have, I think, five or six CSATs at Clint Davis Counseling where it's certified sex addiction therapist. And so I've just went around the country and now now the, the world um, talking about these things. And and so me and you have been kind of partnering with, okay, we've, we're helping these victims, you know, but what are we doing about the demand side, mm-hmm. you know? And and so Cassie and I, we, we met together and came up with a curriculum called John School. Cassie focuses on all the things we've been talking about with trafficking mm-hmm. and um helping uh i guess john so let's clarify what that is so a john is a guy who is a first time or second time offender of buying a prostitute yeah well john legally is it's kind of a slang term in right. the legal system to it's the person who is buying sex online mm-hmm. i'm that sorry for the all the johns out john. there yeah man like, tough it? tough so, name yeah for sure sorry Karen, it's a great karen's name. is that the other oh, one? Gosh. Karen. <laughs> poor karen's poor. i'm sorry all the good karen's out there um, so the reality is, is that, you know, we want to help, we want to see those men in the same way we see mm-hmm. prostitutes, that mm-hmm. they're not monsters, that they got to that situation in, in the same way. Now they need consequences and they need accountability and they need more recovery. consequences actually. Absolutely. If that's a legal thing that could change. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Cause it's still way easier. It's a slap right? on the wrist. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, that's the role that we're playing. So let tell me a little bit about John school. You know, that's my side of it is helping them understand their trauma, their sex addiction, um, their childhood abuse and situations, because that's all of them. Like we've done six or seven John schools now, mm-hmm. I think with what, 60, 70 guys. Yeah, probably. Um, mm-hmm. And all of them have said the same thing, which is I have unresolved trauma. Mm-hmm. I have childhood abuse. I mm-hmm. was exposed early to pornography. You know, they don't know what they're doing when they do it. Yeah. So, yeah, so um, John School was born out of a desire, like Clint said, to um, address the demand side. You know, because human trafficking is really just a supply and demand equation. 
um, if the demand isn't there, the supply will eventually not be there. Um, and we obviously we all know that that's how the whole world works. Um, and so we, uh, like, like you said, we wrote the cl- curriculum and then we went to our, um, DA's office. So the district attorney and asked for them, um, to do a partnership with us to do what's called a pre-trial diversion, um, for first and second time offenders of solicitation. So basically what that means is if um, an individual was facing a solicitation charge, which means they've been arrested for buying sex, if it's their first or second offense, and if they don't have some other things in their um, history, you know, they can't, they can't have violent charges and things like that. Um, if it's a misdemeanor level, first and second time offense, they can be offered John school as a pretrial diversion. Um, meaning that they can pay a, a fee to the court, they pay a fee to purchase, they take this class with you and I, which I'll talk about in a second. And um, what happens after that is uh, the charge actually stays on their record, but it shows that it's been, I don't know the legal term. Um, it essentially removes it from their record, quote unquote. I mean, it's there if you ever ran it, but it says like resolved, or I can't remember the word it says beside it. It shows that they did something to, you know, correct that. Um, so it's a huge uh, benefit for men facing this charge um, because and, and what I want to say is Clint and I you know when we do this class like we are not naive like we know they're only coming because it's a pretrial diversion and they it's kind of like a <laughs> do this it's kind of like the easier way out a yeah. little bit um, and, and that's tell, okay and we tell them that <laughs> yeah like that's okay like we don't care why they come through the door yeah. we know that they're not coming to the door because they want to learn about trafficking um, but so the DA agreed to that. That was two years ago. And um, the heart of it is, you know, obviously there's there's knowledge that prostitution is is illegal. Like that's not that's not a surprise. But there's a lot of things that these men because we've all we've only seen men so far. There's a lot of things they don't know. And our heart of John School is can we expose them to the full truth of human trafficking? Can we kind of wrap flesh around uh, prostitution? Because to them, it's just a transaction, right? They clicked on a link. It actually is the same amount of steps to buy a pizza. Right. Um, it's like racism. You know, when you dehumanize someone right. based on you know them just being a yeah. commodity or a, yeah. a, a, an well, ethnicity or whatever, when, you dehumanize yourself. Right. So that, you When know. it's just as easy to order pizza online to order a woman, there's a, again, back to the desensitate. No, I don't know how to say that word. Mm-hmm. Um <laughs> we want them to understand that's not just a transaction. Like, so we kind of, the first half of the day that I teach is that we kind of wrap humanness around this whole thing, right? Like, um, tell the story of women in prostitution and what they experience and their trauma and their childhood and how a lot of them start when they're kids. And then we help them understand that like buying a woman online, um, that doesn't mean that you haven't participated in human trafficking because the truth is like that man doesn't know when that woman shows up for that appointment, if she has a pimp or not. And a lot of times he's the pimps waiting in the parking lot, Mm -hmm. but that man in John school doesn't know that. Um, so really our heart is equipping them with knowledge, um, and information and, and honestly setting up some hurdles mentally that now they will have to jump in order to do this again. Um, it's one of the hardest things to teach for me as a woman. Uh, Clint and I have talked about this. It is 
extremely intimidating um, every time. Like it does not matter how many times we do it. You know, being the only female standing in a room, knowing what charges are in that room and knowing just the spiritual nature of what we're doing. Um, But it has been one of the most formative things for me because I think, you know, the hub's mission statement is the hub is on a mission to give everyone in our city access to a restored life. It's an example of that word, everyone, because you go, man, like, but I don't want to, but I don't want to do this. Okay, (laughs) please not me. Um, But every single time I walk away understanding that, man, like we're all desperate for Jesus. We're all broken. And the second half of the day that you teach is about their story and their trauma and their brokenness. And one of the things I love that we do is, you know, in the beginning, just say, Hey, we truly believe. And and if the only two people in the world that believe this are me and Cassie is that, you know, you would not have done what you did had you known what we're about to tell you today. That's right. And I want to tell us a story about John's. Uh, this is a story. I'm just kidding. <laughs> All about okay. Um, so I get the opportunity as a, a role that I play here um, with the FBI to be present on stings in our community, uh, undercover operations. Um, and a lot of those are um, targeting Johns. So the, the, whole, the sole purpose of a lot of them is to arrest men who are buying sex online. And so... Um, because of John's school and because of what we now can offer, I get to go on those as well now. So I get to be present just like I am for women being arrested. I get to do that for men who are being arrested, um, which we're working towards it not being me being there. And obviously it being, we're training some men to do that now because it's not best case scenario, um, for it to be me. However, I think it's been really important for me, um, for it to be me for a little bit Mm -hmm. because, um, Man, like God has radically shaped me um, just through those encounters because what I've seen is, you know, I like they get arrested and 15 seconds later, they're in the room where I am. And so you're seeing this like instant aftermath of their decision. And there's this um, tenderness to that encounter that is very... Um, it's hard to come away from those encounters thinking, ugh, you're a monster. Like, mm-hmm. you know, all these things that, that society actually says about them when they're... Well, yeah, because society sees people as a a shadow that's out there that they can be mad at or they can reject right. or they can whatever. And then their face hits the news the next day and everyone's like, ugh, what a monster, what a pervert, right? right but if it was your uncle or your friend mm-hmm. or your husband or your whatever... And you knew their their lifestyle. Well, and I'm sitting, you know, I'm sitting face to face and they're shaking with fear. They're, a lot of them are weeping. Mm-hmm. Now, some of you listening are like, who cares? You know, of course they're shaking. They just got arrested or of course they're crying. They're just mad they got, they're just upset they got caught. But that's not what I see. Um, and one encounter in particular is um, there. one of the men that was arrested um, was having a really hard time after arrest, calming down. And so he was having uh, massive anxiety attacks, um, vomiting. I mean, you know, he was, his adrenaline was really high. He was very upset. Um, and so they had taken him out of the room. They were going to, they had called an ambulance. And so um, they asked if I would ride down with them, the, the arresting officers and him on the elevator to try to help calm him down. And so we were on the elevator and I was talking to him 
as he was, you know, trying to calm down. And I was just, man, like the Holy Spirit was just speaking through me because in my flesh, I was like, what am I supposed to say on this tiny little elevator? But so anyways, um, he stopped me like I was in a mid sentence and he said, hey, whoa, whoa, whoa." because I was talking really fast because I knew I only had a short amount of time. And he was like, can I ask you something? And I said, yeah. And he said, why in the world do you care about me? And one of the arresting officers, who's also a believer and we know each other really well, said, that's the best question you could have ever asked her. And so I got to tell him why. You know, I shared the gospel with him and and told him about his value and worth. And he, one of the things he said to me was, you know, after hearing, after we talked for a little while and he calmed down, before the ambulance got there, he said, I only did this because I'm, I have an intimacy problem. Like, like, like I know that it's, it's because like, I can't find intimacy with anyone. Like, Mm -hmm. and you hear this like deep desperation for connection and, um, being seen and known and loved. And so, you know, he gets on the ambulance and goes, and then I find out two days later that he committed suicide that night. And I think for me, like it was a game changer because I had spent those, you know, 10 minutes with him and saw the potential for restoration. Right. And then his ending his life. Yeah, the anti gospel, right? Which is shame. Yeah. It was um, unworthy. He's not good enough. He was very profound for me. Like, I, it shook me like to my core and also shaped in me this like unquenchable desire to see their lives restored. Um, again, back to doing God doing in me before we did it as a ministry. Um, so I'm super thankful. I'm grieved by that story, but, and I, and I know listeners are probably like, if they haven't already turned it off, <laughs> but if you're still out there. Right. We we have to hear that stuff. Yeah. Well, that's the other problem with trafficking and John's school and all the dirty is that nobody really wants to be a part of that. And it's yeah, hard. It I mean, is so you hard. Know, my wife is a great support for that because she's always reminded me, like, you know, you you deal with some really hard topics and some really hard issues. And, of course, you have intrusive thoughts sometimes. Of course you, you know, but that's a burden we take on. And, and I'm not saying everybody has to dive both feet into it. Mm-hmm. and But we live in a broken world and putting our heads in the sand and pretending like it didn't exist. It's only going to a matter of time until it affects you. That's right. Right. Until it affects your culture and your children. And, um, you know, we kind of covered that idea of, you know, why does somebody become a prostitute? Why Mm -hmm. does somebody become a John? And again, like, like we were saying, it's, there is a pattern, there's a history. It starts with early childhood trauma, Mm -hmm. exposure to sexuality, whether it being taken from you, whether it, you know, being forced upon you, whatever the circumstances are that lead to a lifetime of shame and guilt. And like I said, the anti-gospel, the, you know, you feel so dirty and broken by the time you even have a brain that's formed an identity that that has already, you've already learned that you're bad, that you're broken, that you're not good enough. And so, and then the whole world tells you that and, Mm. you know, bringing things from darkness to light is the answer. But when you bring things to the light and everybody takes a big dump on you mm-hmm. and shames you and tells you mm-hmm. you're awful and, and the culture around you does that, then why would you ever bring yeah. it to the light? And so many of us and so many listeners out there I know have the story of having that own experience in our own life. It's just statistics where we had some sexual thing happen and it was not good. 
and then we told an adult and we either got told that's terrible, you're dirty, you're mm-hmm. bad, how mm-hmm. could you? Or ah, uh, that didn't happen. Right. And take that, you know, and not being uh, having any financial support, not having a culture, not having a church group, not having any caregivers or, or things in your life that mm-hmm. can listen and direct you, you know, leads very quickly to mm-hmm. making bad choices and more bad choices and more bad choices to where you don't even really see the positive mm-hmm. choices you can make. Yeah. You just know what you know. Yep. And like this guy, you, you know, sex addiction, I don't even like to focus on the addiction part. I like to talk about it being an intimacy disorder mm-hmm. because that's what it is. You just want to connect. You don't know how to be vulnerable and connect because vulnerability is scary yep. and your brain is traumatized. So you literally physically can't be vulnerable. Or, yeah. And his story was that he had been rejected. Right. Yeah. So much. Um, so that brings us to kind of that, uh, one topic I wanted to talk about a little bit while we got time is how do we as a culture, um, as a church culture, as an American culture play into, because I think, like we said, people isolate it and go, well, that's over there. Mm-hmm. And that's that dark, dirty world. Mm-hmm. Um, recently I've seen a lot of, uh, talk about hashtag save the children and people, you know, write X's on their forearms and they get on social media and they, they post these things. But at the same time, those parents, those people, right, they let their daughters get on TikTok and right. dance without a bra on and do mm-hmm. all these things that kind of play into this yeah. culture. So yeah. I wanted you to speak to that a little bit. Yeah. So um, I think it's easy um, to blame culture, right? Like to go, well, that's culture's fault. Mm-hmm. But the truth is. We're culture. Yeah, like culture is shaped by, the way that I like to explain it is, um, culture is shaped by all of the things we cast votes on. Mm -hmm. So if you think about the way, well, we're not going to get into like elections or anything. Gosh, episode one. Right. But when you cast a vote. Especially this year. Yeah. When you cast a vote, you know, in a voting booth, you're, you're kind of endorsing, right? So if you take that into your everyday life, any, you know, we have purchasing power. We have all these things. Anything you do, all the decisions you make are like casting votes, right? So um, when you go into Target and they have a brand new something, which I feel like they always have. It's sure. like a hamster wheel they of addiction. Target. Right. It, you know, it's on the end cap first. Mm-hmm. And it's like, here's this brand new thing. I buy it because I'm a sucker for all things new. I buy it. I've cast a vote, right? And and my vote goes onto a report back to the person who made that. They count those votes, and that determines if in six weeks I go back and it's on the regular shelves and not on the end cap, or if it's gone. Okay, so that's like that's supply and demand. That's a version of casting your vote. Um, so culture is shaped by all of the votes that we cast over time. So when we blame culture, what we have to understand is that only exists because we collectively casted votes for it to by our decisions the way we live our lives the apps we download all of those things yeah because especially in america money yeah is the is well it's a cool thing we have the power to do we have the power to shape culture but we have to understand that like we have to own the culture we're in by going ugh. we can't just it, it's easy to just go, oh, that's just culture. Well, okay, but like you can't just blame a word. Like you have to understand that like if if we don't like the way culture is, we have to make decisions that change it. And so, you know, human trafficking, again, feels like this big, bad, ugly, separate thing, but it's not. 
um, the roots of it and the beginnings of it are in regular everyday culture. Um, like the, the world of TikTok, and that's a, another thing people are probably real antsy about. Absolutely. It, yeah. Well, Microsoft apparently just bought it, so it's dead. This just in. Yeah. Did it, did it, did it. Okay. I didn't know that, so <laughs> I heard it from you. Um, but, you know, we're engaging in things that are sexual in nature. And like you said, parents letting their kids be on TikTok and all of those things. Like, yeah, it's not a porn app. Like they didn't make no, it to be no. sexual, but like we do most things when there's video and instant gratification. Yeah, for sure. Sexualize it. Yeah. So there are there are things in our culture that we have. Um, they've gone from black and white to gray, where like it's just a part of living life as an American. Yeah, all or, boys watch know. porn. Right. Or like everyone's on TikTok, so I need to. Get, you know, everyone in quarantine was like, should I get on TikTok? Like. I even had a, my husband was like, I think I'm going to start a TikTok. And I didn't even let him finish the sentence. I was like, <laughs> you will not be starting a TikTok. <laughs> but, um, you know, there are things in culture that seem disconnected from human trafficking, trafficking, but they're not because the narrative of human trafficking is the sex sells narrative. Absolutely. And so we have to, we have to go, okay, if we rewind back the extreme story of human trafficking, where does it start? And then we have to shape our decisions as especially as believers to reflect what we want to be true about culture right and before you turn it off it doesn't mean that if you're on TikTok, it you're a trafficker no right? no but, but yeah. we have to be able to see the connections that if TikTok didn't exist if things that were overly sexualized didn't exist right. trafficking would definitely be limited yes for sure because it's shaping the narrative of that yeah. and and we have to know, like, um, this is kind of related, kind of unrelated, but, you know, last year I listened to this sermon series about the fashion industry, which I wish I never would have. Because <laughs> <laughs> I love clothes, first of all. And then it's one of those things where you're like, well, now I've heard it, so can't, I got it. Yeah. Can't unring the bell. Right. So one of the things that hit me when I was listening to this is the the pastor was unpacking, like, the fashion fast fashion industry and labor trafficking and how like human Ooh. human human trafficking and labor trafficking and how that's tied to like stores that you go into every day or whatever so he's like it's kind of like watching one of those food documentaries yeah food <laughs> and you're like oh no you can so, never eat at mcdonald's now. right so um shout out to mcdonald's yeah so this isn't we're not sponsored sponsor. <laughs> that'd be a great sponsor um sorry so i was so bothered by so this is the moment i had i stand on a stage a lot talking about anti-human trafficking things and yet i spend a lot of my money in stores that only have things on the shelves because people are being trafficked mm -hmm. and so i had to make a decision and this goes to the culture thing i had to rewind that back and go man now that's i'm not saying and again we're not saying Stop shopping at Target or H&M. This is not any kind of soapbox. This is just for me personally. Yeah. I had to make choices. And I had I had to, based on my personal convictions, I had to change behaviors so that the culture of my life didn't fuel trafficking. And so those anyone who knows me knows that it like clothes are like my jam. Like I have on a necklace right now with a big roach on it. <laughs> Super weird there on youtube um i love clothes but i not as much as i love 
justice and people. And so I made last year, I just decided I'm not going to shop at places unless they're like ethical places, which means I'm not going to shop anywhere because it's too expensive if it's ethical usually, (laughs) or I'm going to only shop used and, um, you know, secondhand and man, I've only cheated because I have cheated, (laughs) but I've only cheated like four times. Right. But so this brings me to a point that I try to talk to everybody about is in, and I know you would agree. It's not about being perfect. No, right? it's not about like, Oh my gosh, you can never do this again. I mean, you can't function in America. No. Like, no. you know, I tell my wife all the time, like I say, shout out to my wife. Uh, I say, you know, we're going to get to heaven and we're going to realize well, heaven's going to come here, you know, theology. Uh, and we're going to go, Oh my gosh. Like as an American, I was so off from what Jesus yeah, wanted in right. ways that that's I right. never even knew, like couldn't right. even have imagined. And so, but but we, if we can, can do, do something. Yes. And yeah. we could do just like with our parenting, just like mm-hmm. with our communication with our wives mm-hmm. and our husbands, we can do the right thing seven out of 10 times. Yeah. And, and what I know to be true is that if I, if me and my, you know, tribe of people, if, if enough of us start to make decisions that shape culture, culture will change. And I have to think first about the culture of my home, my own life. You know, it's, it's not like I think, I don't think that much of myself that like, I don't shop at H&M. So therefore traffic, you know, it's not that, but I do think as believers, we have to understand that we individually, what we do matters and how we live matters and our decisions matter. And for me, it was just this huge moment where I went, this is something I can easily change to change a culture. Mm -hmm. And the same goes for things in our culture that are lending to the sex industry. It's the same thing. You know, we can all choose, we can choose on small levels to do things differently that will impact human trafficking. We can choose to not watch certain shows. We can choose to not watch pornography. You know, there are there are things we can stop casting votes in some ways that if if the body of Christ, if enough of us stopped casting our vote in some things, we could actually change. Oh, absolutely. Culture. I, uh, you know, working with talking about pornography, um, you know, as a man in America, that's been something that I've, you know, I've viewed since I was eight and, mm-hmm. you know, struggled against and no matter what you know, social media you're on or television show you're on or whatever, there's always a trigger and a link to something that starts out subtle mm-hmm. and ends in full on pornography because, you know, and we'll do another podcast on why that works and how that works. But, um, it's interesting to me, you know, when I started learning and working with you and working in, in purchase, like thinking about porn and thinking about casting that vote, like, any time that I've ever struggled or thought about going to any of these websites, my, mm-hmm. like it's not that I don't have any sexual sin, but there's always this barrier of, do I want to add to that? That's right. Cause it's really mm-hmm. easy in the beginning, you know, to go, Oh man, you know, it's just, you know, they want to be doing it. It's just images. It's not real people. Like it's, mm-hmm. you know, you're just like prostitution, pornography, it's, you're desensitized to it. You're mm-hmm. like, these are just videos. Mm-hmm. You're not thinking about the people in the room, mm-hmm. what their lifestyle was like, what they're, um, and having that barrier, I mean, it really just changed my life mm-hmm. and my own recovery and my own work because, you know, I have to think who are these mm-hmm. people and, you know, what am I giving money to? I mean, Pornhub makes more than the NBA, the NHL, and the, and the Major League Baseball combined. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. You know, it is insane the amount of money and most of it's free. So you have to think about ad revenue. Yep. And, you know, I think, you know, I'm not going to name any names, but there's a bunch of ads this year from bigger 
companies on Pornhub, mm-hmm. on a pornography website, porno- and Pornhub um, this year has really been getting a lot of flack for child pornography mm-hmm. and allowing you know 15-year-olds to post videos and 12-year-olds to be on there. Just recently there was an article in the news about this 15-year-old who had like 40 videos on there, and it took mm-hmm. him forever to take it down, and she was being trafficked, and, you know. Yeah. So um, it, it's... Well, it goes back to what we said. Everyone has a part to play in human trafficking all the way down to our daily decisions. Absolutely. And, you know, and I keep saying, especially as believers, but for real though, like we have to understand that like we are called to justice, period. It doesn't matter who it is. Me, you, Susie Sunday School down the street, doesn't matter. Right. We're all called to justice because that's who that's who Christ was. He, his presence brought justice. And so we can't not care. Like, But we also can't, and this is a whole other uh, thing, but we also can't just care about it in the sense of like a retweet or a share right. or a post, which I think we're going to probably talk, we could probably transition to talking about the cultural stuff right now. Yeah. Um, you know, I think one of the things that I think is really interesting. So I think I think right now there's a lot of media attention and and um, on social media and in the news on human trafficking, which is awesome. So let me first say that's amazing because the reason it's amazing is because it's awareness and awareness is a really big part of yeah. the fight against human trafficking. And you never want to be that person that has done the work forever, whatever it is. And then people show up to the game and you're like, well, I've been doing it for 10 years. Where were you? No. You know, and I'm yeah. not saying you're doing that. I'm yeah. saying you see so much of that. People are afraid to jump in because they feel like the people who've been doing it are going to shame them for not being right. there. So, so I've actually never had that thought. Yeah. I, I well, think of course you haven't. I've I think it's it amazing. <laughs> I think it's amazing that there's so much awareness. I think that's always a win in the sense of people are talking about it. We're talking about it. I was on a podcast a few weeks. Like, that's amazing because it opens the conversation, right? However, um, I think there's a watering down of justice that is happening right now because I think you hear kind of this thing online right now. Some people come out and say it plainly and then sometimes it's just undertones of like if you are silent about this issue and don't use your social media account then you're complicit right well th- i have a problem with that me too um because I, whatever the issue whatever it is yeah but i think what's more important is is that in our day-to-day lives in person we're showing up and fighting for justice not just me because i'm paid to do it or whatever everyone um and i think the social media social justice realm while it is amazing it is all it also has some downsides Mm -hmm. and some of those downsides are that people feel like they've done enough by just sharing something or um that they're an expert on it because they read i mean let's be real we read like four sentences of an article before we share it me included really (laughs) sometimes yeah clickbait just the headline right um and so my my thing you you know I had actually a weird response and I say weird because I had to really examine it, you know, um, in my own life when the Wayfarer situation happened mm-hmm. and it was just like, I, and just I, to recap, that was a, you know, Wayfair came out, there was a Reddit forum. People were talking about how they were trafficking kids. Right. There were these, you know, same, uh, like 
bookcases and different things that had different numbers with different names. And then they, they found girls' names that were missing mm-hmm. that were those same yeah. names. And yeah. it was just all this weird information that we didn't. That's right. And I, I have had to take some breaks from social media um, over the last six months. And it, at that time, I wasn't as active. So I didn't. So I started getting all these text messages one night, like, oh my gosh, did you see this about Wayfair? So I was like, what the heck? So I went online and I read about it. And, um, and then obviously with like the, um, the Epstein case and like that Netflix documentary and all of those things, like it just started becoming like the thing right mm-hmm. on social media Pizzagate, and yeah. yeah, Pizzagate, which I had, I had to study all these things and learn. I had this really weird response where I actually felt like I needed that I didn't even know what I wanted to say. Yeah. And I think, I think what I learned about myself in that moment is I was just really tired of hearing what people had to say, myself included. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And I had to go, okay, because you know, we had, we've had several things over the coronavirus, coronavirus by itself. And then we've had 2020. Yeah. 2020 itself. Um, I think I realized that I was, I had some fatigue, some, you know, opinion fatigue um and so information fatigue yeah yeah. like i just realized that i was worn out and i had to like really get with the lord and say what mattered like now that i know this information so you know now all this stuff has come up and everyone's asking me all these questions like what do you want me to do with this (laughs) because like we still need to ask jesus those things Mm -hmm. and i felt led of the lord to do some things in my own life like to serve in some ways and to answer some people directly, but not to necessarily use my platform for that week to talk about Wayfair and all this kind of stuff. But like you kind of get some backlash if you don't. And so it's like a really weird world. So I think there's a downside to the flare up. Absolutely. Especially at a time where everything is flared. And and cancel, cancel culture where That's like right. you can lose your job. You can you know, literally say the wrong, one wrong word and lose your job. Absolutely. Just trying to get good information out, not knowing every single bit of every single thing and being able to say everything perfectly live in the podcast. Yeah, that's right. You can, you know, get hate from mm-hmm. someone because they're saying you're being hateful. You know, right. it, it's pretty insane. I mean, you start talking about modesty and, you know, that being linked to trafficking and then there's a big anger mm-hmm. outburst from one side saying, oh, how could you say that? Mm-hmm. Women should be empowered by being able to wear whatever they want to. And, and there's just all this... And the problem with it, which is why I wanted to do the podcast, is that, you know, we're able to have this conversation mm-hmm. in an hour and a half, in two hours, and really break it down mm-hmm. um, in a way that people get good information. Instead of just the culture of Facebook, social media, you know, Instagram, where you get a little paragraph of mm-hmm. the picture mm-hmm. or a, bo- a blog that's, mm-hmm. you know, 500 words. Yeah. And no one can have conversation back and right. forth. There's no dialogue. There's well, no... the way the Wayfair example, um, I think, is actually really cool because I, th- I think that's where cancel culture would be great is if like if a company is right. trafficking children it's funny what they cancel right but like so so on the wafer thing what i what i ended up responding directly to people with is like hey i don't know if that's true or not right i mean i literally like i have no idea however if it does end up being true then we should stop using wayfair but if it's not it doesn't just if it ends up being untrue, just know that it is still true somewhere, somewhere. And so this feeling you feel right. Like that's what I kept telling people like this, this rage and this, like we've, we've got to do something. Don't let that go away. No, find the place where that's at and join it. Yeah. Join it. Like this is a real thing that's happening. Now, 
with the Epstein stuff, um, that documentary coming out and, and all the stuff that's happened over the last few months. Um, the thing about that, that I think is really, uh, it's kind of a slippery slope is that we can easily as a culture start to, um, build another myth about human trafficking that like, that's what it, like, that's what it looks like in America. And while obviously it happened, right? Like, I'm not going to speak to that, but like, it's happening in that form, meaning celebrities influence, you know, these huge like powerhouses of people are involved. That is happening, but it isn't, it's kind of like when people are like, so is your job like taking the movie? Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. I think we have to be careful that we don't now draw a box and go, well, in America, here's what it looks like, mm-hmm. because that's not what it looks like for us here. And that's not what it looks like for the majority of victims. And so I go the same way with the Epstein case. It's amazing that it's getting attention and we're learning and it's opening conversations. Um, and I think that it is way more normal and yes. way more uh, pervasive than people right. think. So you take, you take what you've learned from Epstein and you just size it to your city <laughs> or because that it's happening everywhere. Yep. It's just that that particular case is a little juicier in the sense of whose names are involved. Absolutely. And, you know, for parents out there listening who are scared and who are hearing all this mm-hmm. information and who are trying to figure out like, oh, my gosh, like, how do I protect my kid? Yeah. It's not I mean, it's not isolated on an island like all these things we're talking about. I how mean, you parent. His, his, yeah, to be fair, his yeah, was. <laughs> that was kind of a play on words. Uh, oh, missed the joke. No, I, it wasn't a it wasn't on purpose. <laughs> uh, we're not isolated to these, you know, this situation happened outside of the world, outside mm-hmm. of your parenting, outside mm-hmm. of supervision. I mean, mm-hmm. I think the stat is 83% of parents have no clue and no mm-hmm. rules for devices. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. So if, you know, 80% of the parents out there that are listening, you don't have any rules for your devices. Your teenager is being exposed and being yep. in relationship way too early and way too mature sexual uh, ways and that sets them up for failure mm-hmm. and manipulation and coercion and, and um, you know, all the things that happened right. in the Epstein case. Right. That these, you know, 13 and 14 and 15 year old girls with money and, ex- you know, what they thought and expectations and lies. And mm-hmm. um, but that's where we put our value. Right. And so we're all a part of that in the sense that we value shiny things. We value islands. We mm-hmm. value prestige and being mm-hmm. known and being with the hot commodity of a person right now, mm-hmm. a celebrity. Uh, and we can prepare our kids for things, uh, you know, to be battle against those things. Yep. And I hope the Epstein case becomes a way that the general public learns about what it looks like and manipulation and all of those things. But my other, my other hope is that we, this whole like we've got to do something that it sticks because when that case is over we still have to do something like we still have to fight this and and two um there's a bit of salaciousness to that case that's like we have to take down the people who did it and that's true like justice needs to be served but we also have to remember like there's victims whose lives were wrecked by that and so my hope is that it can become for just the general public a case study in like how it happens and why it happens and what it can turn into. And then 
But I hope that we don't just focus on the people who did it. I hope that we start to turn our focus to the victims and their stories. And because most of them that have shared their stories, um, their, their lives have been restored and they're married and with kids and they're, you know, you can, you can look into their stories. They've shared them online and things like that. Um, I just hope that we look at it from the whole perspective instead of just politicizing it and going, well, look who was on that list and look what that means about X, Y, Z. Instead we go, how did that happen? Like, and what, how is it happening in my area and right, in my like, life and how am I per- a whole perpetuating system it? Yeah. worked for him to get away with it mm-hmm. over and over and over again. So my hope is we look at it and we don't just get caught, caught in the salacious details, but we go, man, how did that happen? And how can we prevent it from happening where we live in our towns and our cities? Um, and then pay attention to the victims and the ways that their lives were impact and impacted. So I, I just, while I think it's amazing for awareness, I just hope that we stay vigilant and worked up about it online because, um, that's, the long haul is what's important, not just the like flash in the pan of this kind of more salacious event. So that would be my perspective about that whole thing. That's good. Yeah. I mean, the the biggest goal is to get people actually doing something on a daily, weekly, monthly, yearly yeah. basis. So mm-hmm. to kind of wrap up, we got about five, six minutes. Um, what can somebody do, the average person do, who's listening to this? Um, it's Report Bozier, but, you know, hopefully worldwide at some point mm-hmm. in their city and in our city specifically to help with human trafficking. Mm -hmm. So I, we've already said a lot of things in their personal lives, but some real kind of like next steps could be one is to find a way to get educated, um, for real, like go through a training, um, watch something online that teaches you about human trafficking. And I mentioned a few, uh, documentaries that yeah. Okay. So, um, I would say if you're in our area, uh, we do a quarterly training, Um, through the hub so you can go to our website to find out that Um, but documentaries some good ones are um, nefarious Uh, the tagline is nefarious merchant of souls which is so heavy but it is heavy it is a a heavy video it is a heavy video but it is incredible Um, and it has a lot about the gospel and just kind of ties biblical truth but also tells a really good story of global trafficking and then what it looks like in the u.s so nefarious would be a good one um there's another a different documentary called uh, very young girls um that tells the perspective of trafficking in the u.s uh for teenagers and for children very good uh very heavy these are all like trigger warning type things they're not easy to watch um and then there's some really good books that you can read uh one's called girls like us um the white umbrella project is a really good book about walking with victims of sexual exploitation. Um, so those would be some really good resources. You can learn a lot on Pol- on the Polaris Project website. They're, that's who runs the National Human Trafficking Hotline. Um, they have, I mean, tons of resources to learn. So one step is learn. Um, learn about it. Learn what it looks like in your area. The second thing I would say is... Um, find a trusted nonprofit that's in the trenches fighting against human trafficking where you live and throw your resources behind it. Whether that's time, money, your career, like you were saying, um, prayer, prayer, like find a way to physically engage, um, with a nonprofit because as someone who runs a nonprofit, what I know to be true is what it takes to do it. Um, 
it takes a whole lot to get one life out of human trafficking. So I'd say educate yourself, find a nonprofit that you trust um, and give your resources to it. Um, And then three would be make daily choices. After you learn what you learn, um, make daily choices uh, that matter in the conversation of human trafficking, whether that's um, in your circles of influence, whether that's how you allow people to talk about women, whether that's, you know, there's so many things we can do individually every day. And so I think getting educated will kind of bring to light some things that you could change in your own life that maybe um, are propping up some of this cultural stuff. So um, those would be kind of the three steps that I would encourage people to take. That's great. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we talked about kind of catchphrases. And so we've mm-hmm. talked a lot about asking why, but what what are some things that you're asking why about in your life right <laughs> I told now? you not to well, ask I know me. you did, but I get to do it. Asking why. Oh, man, it's such 2020 is such a hard year for that question. Oh, right. Um, why? What am I asking why? I mean, I, I literally have a scroll of things that I could roll out. <laughs> right, for sure. Um, Pick one. You know, one of my questions is not why coronavirus, like in the bigger sense, but, you know, I often find myself sitting with the Lord just going, why? Like, what are you doing? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Not out of a lack of trust, because I trust him. You know, my kids pray these really simple prayers. Like um, two nights ago, my oldest, Liv, just was like, God, please just stop the virus. Like she just got like so frustrated. frustrated. And um, And so I don't ask why in the sense of like, you're a good God. How could you let this happen? But I'm really curious. Like, what are you doing? You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like what? What are you bringing out of this? What are you changing? What are your desires? You know, like why? That kind of a why. Like, because you can't look at 2020 and just be like, this is just a bunch of coincidences that, you know, like it's clear that um, the ground under us is shaking. And I'd fully trust that God is sovereign. And so I'm just asking like a kid out of curiosity that goes, what are you doing? You know, like what, what are we about to know about you that we didn't know before this? Or what is the body of Christ going to look like? Cause bless, I hope it looks better (laughs) than it looks right now. But you know, why in the sense of what are your purposes in this? And I just, I mean, I have this like daily sense of like, I just don't, I don't want to miss him. You know, like I don't want to miss what he's doing Absolutely. because I'm so blinded by circumstances. And so that would be my answer is like, why Rona? But not really in like the, yeah, yeah. why are you allowing it? But like, what are you doing? You know, like, what are you going to bring from this? Because I fully know and believe that God purposes brokenness. And, and it's like a, I just feel like we're, you know, I've been, you know, a lot of people call it the dumpster fire, but like. There is a thing about refinement that requires fire. Mm-hmm. And I just am like curious as to like how we're going to come out on the other side of this. And I do believe that um, if as Christ followers, if we're sensitive to what God is saying to us, we will come out of this better. Um, but I'm just really curious to see like God's purposes play out um, in some of the hardest things we've ever walked through. So um, that would be my, uh, what's today? Wednesday's question. Yeah. That's <laughs> Why? great. Cause I have a question every day, Absolutely. but that would be what well, I would thank say. Thank you. That was really good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. When the aliens start coming out of the sky, <laughs> apparently. For real. Yeah. Uh, I mean, we wouldn't even be 
we wouldn't even be upset i don't think anymore like it would just be like oh of course 2020 sure. where's will smith that's right need help mm-hmm. um okay well we're with the cassie hammett uh what's instagram facebook the hub um yeah so the hubs uh website is the hubministry.com and we are at the hub ministry on instagram and facebook and then my instagram is at cass ham c-a-s-s-h-a-m-m um and that's also my facebook name as well awesome mm-hmm. and this is asking why podcast uh, with clint davis counseling and episode one episode one we did it we should have um, popped confetti i know i thought about it I was like that's why i drew up there on the little oh thing. you did draw yeah. confetti <laughs> Well, it's been great. I yes, really appreciate you. you doing it. Um, I really hope that people get good information out of this. And, you know, asking why is always bringing more questions. So I mm-hmm. hope that you out there listening, um, we just thank you for listening. Please tune in, subscribe, like um, the Facebook page. And if you podcast. have questions, leave them in the comments. And like, I don't mind answering them at all. So if questions come to the surface that you're just like, I need to know X, Y, Z, like we would love to answer those. Oh, for sure. Or, or lead you to more things that you can learn about it. Um, email us at clintdaviscounseling at gmail.com. Um, so thank you. Be sure to subscribe and that's it. 